0: Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh day Adventist Church podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Pinato. Jehovah's Witnesses. Just a little bit of a, of a little tidbit on that first part of that name, Jehovah's Witnesses. The, the name Jehovah. That first part. In fact, I just, I just loved. Jason, did you do that on purpose? That song because of who you are? Did you do? No, I was like, man, this is perfect with the sermon title, uh, the song because of you are, you know, who you are, Jehovah Nisi. Uh, you are my provider. So just a little bit tidbit on that. On that name, uh, Jehovah. Jehovah is the uh, English uh, transliteration of the Tetragrammaton. Uh, that's a fancy name for uh, the name of four letters. The four letters, which is the sacred name of God in the Old Testament, the Tetragrammaton. Now, uh, what happened here, and, and you have the letters here in the Hebrew, this is the, uh, the Yod and the He and the Vav and the He, the sacred name of God in the Old Testament, the Tetragrammaton. Now, the pronunciation of this name was lost for centuries. Uh, and that's because Jews held God's name in such reverence. And there is a commandment after that, by the way, isn't, isn't that right? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in, in vain. And, and the Jewish people held God's name in such reverence. It was so holy uh, to be uttered by sinful lips that when they came to this, uh, to this name in the Hebrew Bible, they would not pronounce it. Instead, they would simply say Adonai, Adonai, which is, which is Lord, Adonai. So when they would see this name in scripture, uh, this name in scripture, they would not pronounce it out loud. They would simply substitute it for the name Adonai, which means Lord. And it wasn't until the 16th century, the 1500s, when the Bible started being translated into different languages, uh, in, in primarily into English from the Hebrew and the Greek, it started being translated into English, that the English translators of the Bible weren't sure exactly how to translate this name into English. And so with the best of their ability, they translated it as Jehovah, Jehovah. Jehovah, And it became popular because of the King James Version of the Bible. You'll see the name consistently used throughout the King James Version of the Bible, Jehovah. And so we even sang a song about it this morning, Jehovah. Now, it wasn't until recently that scholars discovered that Jehovah probably wasn't the correct way to pronounce the Tetragrammaton, the sacred name of God. And so, modern biblical scholars, in in, in in conjunction with Jewish sources, realize that perhaps the proper na- the proper way of pronouncing the name is anybody guess it? Yahweh, Yahweh. Now, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter two and verse four. Genesis chapter two and verse four. Uh, but despite that, Jason, I, I don't think the song would have the same name, right? The same ring to it, you know. Yahweh, needs, it just doesn't it doesn't really work too well. Jehovah, Jireh, Jehovah, Nisi, right? There's just something about it, though. But Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. This is the first time that uh, the name uh, Yahweh or Jehovah is used in Scripture. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Do you have it? Okay. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the... Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Now, do you notice something interesting about the word Lord? Yes, that's right. Who said that? Yes, it's all capitals. All capitals. And any time in Scripture when you will see the name Lord in all caps... That's because it is they are using the sacred name of God. And so modern Bible translations have followed that Jewish custom. Instead of translating it Jehovah or Yahweh, they will translate it as Lord, all caps. Now, when you see Lord in in, in little, like uh, in um, lowercase, uh, O, lowercase R, lowercase D, then that's the name Adonai, which is simply Lord. But when you see Lord in all caps, then that is the sacred name of God. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 3. This is God speaking. This is actually where he reveals himself as, 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 as Yahweh. Exodus chapter 6, verse 3. All right, do you have it there? Okay, I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as... God Almighty, King James Version people? El Shaddai, King James Version, El Shaddai. There was a song about that written uh, in the 1980s. Uh, Michael Carr, do you remember that, El Shaddai? Okay, God, that's what God Almighty means, El Shaddai. But by my name, the... Or by my name, King James Version, Jehovah, Jehovah uh, modern Bible translations have Lord in all caps. But By my name Jehovah, by my name Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. And so just a little tidbit there on, on the sacred name of God, Tetragrammaton. And so as we consider that first aspect of the name of Jehovah's Witnesses, whether it should be pronounced Jehovah or whether it really should be pronounced Yahweh, you know, um, that's, that's what that is. But... Coming back here to the issue of Jehovah's Witnesses taking their name from the sacred name of God. Uh, you know, we have different, you know, regarding Jehovah's Witnesses, the denomination, uh, we believe differently from them. You know, they have certain beliefs that are a little different than what, uh, than what we believe. But apart from those differences, I think that there's one aspect of Jehovah's Witnesses. There's one aspect of who they are, of what they believe, of what they do, that is worthy of admiration and emulation. What do you think that is? <laughs> Awake and the watchtower. Jehovah's witnesses are intentional about being faithful to their name. Jehovah's witnesses, witnessing, worthy of admiration and emulation. Jehovah's witnesses are all about evangelistic fervor going door to door. Even though we may disagree with some of their beliefs and we may believe that some of the things that they teach are wrong, but yet they are still fervent about sharing what they believe with others. Do you know that Jehovah's Witnesses are one of the fastest growing denominations in North America? You know why? (laughs) Because they're evangelistic, because they're witnessing. They're being intentional about evangelism. Now, Seventh-day Adventists, we're up there too, as far as one of the fastest-growing denominations in North America, and that's because we also believe in evangelism. Um, In fact, in August 17 through 19, we're going to have an evangelistic series. Now, we may not go door-to-door as faithfully as Jehovah's Witnesses, but we're still about evangelism. Let me ask you a question here. How many of you are Seventh-day Adventists and are here today because of an evangelistic series? An evangelistic series, isn't that right? Yeah. Someone invited you to an evangelistic series, um, or, or you received the flyer in the mail, and you're a Seventh Day Adventist because of it. Evangelism breeds life. It breeds growth. It breeds energy. There's something exciting about evangelism. There's something exciting about witnessing. Without evangelism, we die. Mainline Protestant churches are dying. Why? Because for, for years now, decades, they have ceased to evangelize. Evangelical churches are 50-50. Some are dying and some aren't dying. Can you guess uh, the difference between those that are dying and those that aren't dying? The ones that aren't dying is because they're doing evangelism. I've been speaking with my, with my church board and, and with some of our leaders, and I tell them that in the neighborhood where I live in, in Oakleaf, there are two churches that are constantly, let's say, bombarding us. I hate to use that word bombarding because it's kind of a negative term, but they are, are constantly marketing themselves. They are, are constantly evangelizing themselves. Two churches, the Spring and Elevate Life. And they're constantly sending us um, postcards in the mail. They're putting door hangers on our doors. They're putting yard signs out in front and around the neighborhood and, and banners. And so if people are new to the neighborhood and they're looking for a church to go to, where do you think they'll go? Elevate Life or The Spring. Now, it doesn't mean that there's only two churches in the Oakleaf-Argyle area. There's, there's tons of churches there. But these are the two that are consistently evangelizing, consistently letting the community know that, hello, we exist and we're here for you. And they, and they let the community know what, what programs they're doing, what services they offer into the community. I will never forget about Elaine Kyle's testimony. And Elaine Kyle, we haven't seen her in a while. We need need to see what we can do to encourage her. But Elaine Kyle, when she she started attending this church, she said, Pastor, I I drove by your church here for 20 years on my way to work. Every morning and every evening. And I had no clue that you guys ever existed. No clue that you ever existed. You know, and I said, how is that possible? Well, you know how It's possible. You know, maybe we haven't been as evangelistic as perhaps we, we, we could be about getting our name out there. And so some people you know, sometimes ask me, uh, though it's a conversation killer, but, you know, people first meet me, they ask me, so, so what do you do? And I tell them I'm a pastor, and that, that just completely kills the conversation right then and there. But, um, but when I tell them I'm a pastor, and then they say, well, well, what church do you pastor? And then I tell them, I am the pastor of the Jacksonville First Seventh day Adventist Church. And then guess what their face looks like? <laughs> Clueless. Like, what? Where is that? And then I'm like, well, we're, you know, on the corner of Normandy and, and Cahoon and Lennox and Fouracre and, you know, somewhere there, blank stairs. And then I tell them this. I say, oh, we're the church right next to Macedonia Baptist. Oh, now I know where you guys are at. You know, now it's no longer called Macedonia Baptist or, you know, they changed their name there, you know, but there's something about name recognition um, it's so, so important. There's something about being intentional about the proclamation of the gospel message. There's still something about going door to door. I can't help it. You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, he sent his disciples, his apostles. That's what apostle means. Those who are sent. He sent his apostles two by two to the different villages to proclaim the gospel, to heal those who are sick, to continue his message. You know, And, and, and recently when I see politicians still go to door to door. When it's a campaign season, they'll, they'll go door to door, they'll send their volunteers door to door, they'll go canvassing door to door, asking the community, asking the neighbors, what are the issues that you're interested in? How can I best serve you as, as, as a, in public office? There is something about going door to door. We have our MAGA book students who are here with us this summer, uh, they're, they're gone for this weekend because of the 4th of July, but they are going door to door. Now, in this community, and, and pretty soon they'll, they'll be working the neighborhoods around us. On Earth Day, April 22nd, we went door-to-door. How many of you, again, were here and, and went door-to-door on Earth Day? Raise your hands. You know, and, and I want to make a video about that uh, just from the experiences that we had. We went door-to-door offering flowers to the neighbors um, as, as a sign of goodwill. Um, and one of the things that I learned... Going, walking the neighborhood and going door-to-door and speaking to the neighborhoods is one of the things that it helps is they, it helps recognize the neighbors, recognize, oh, you're from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Oh, you're our neighbor church right around the corner. Oh, we understand. But not only that, but as we're walking it, we can also understand the community. We can get to know who our neighbors are, uh, what our neighbors look like, what the needs of our community are. And it's so important because Jesus said we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We have to be involved in our community. And so I tell you this morning, we should all be Jehovah's witnesses. How does that sound? (laughs) Witnesses of God to our community. So having said that, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 now. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. What, what is that former book spoken about here? Does anybody know what is that former book? Luke. That's right. Who said that? That's right. That's a book of Luke. Good job, Anthony. We'll have to give you a star or something for that. Um, a little sticker. Yes, in my former book, uh, Luke the doctor, Luke the physician, wrote the book of Luke and the gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Luke and the book of Acts are like volume one and volume two. And so Luke is continuing the story of the disciples. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, verse 3, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command: "Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the gift and the promise that my father spoke about. What, what is he talking about here? What is he talking about here? Yeah. Now, go, go, now, keep your finger there, but go to Luke. Luke chapter 24. And you just notice the parallels here from Luke chapter 24 and verse 47 to, to Acts chapter 1. Just notice the parallels here: is Jesus, that the Messiah would suffer, rise from the dead on the third day. Luke 24 and verse 47. Do you have it? And, and he would preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, have we just read something similar to that? All nations beginning at Jerusalem, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll see that again in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Verse 48, and you are witnesses of these things. Verse 49, and I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Here, Jesus is speaking about the promise. He's speaking about the gift, the, the Greek word there, e- e- epongelion, of the gift or the promise. Does epangelion? does that sound like another word that, that, that we're familiar with? Sound like another word we're familiar with. Eongelion, the gospel, very similar, except for a couple, a couple letters change. Epongelion, the promise, the gift. Eongelion, the good news of that gift, that we've received the gift, the gospel. So go back to Acts chapter one. He tells them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. That my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. What is that gift? Verse 5. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Notice how often the Holy Spirit is already mentioned in these few verses already. Two, three, four times already. That the Holy Spirit is being alluded to. Jesus is ascending, He has resurrected, He's going to heaven, and He's telling them, wait in Jerusalem. It, he was there with them 40 days, and in a few days, what, what would happen in a few days? 40 days, what would happen a few days later? You know, Pentecost, that's the idea of Pentecost being five, you know, on the 50th day after the resurrection. He's there with them 40 days, and He says, in a few days, verse five, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses, he says. Now, verse 6, notice the response of the disciples. And so then they gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, just notice the focus of the disciples is Jesus is telling him, stay in Jerusalem, and you will receive the gift. You will receive the Holy Spirit, and you will be witnesses... And then, But what's the focus of the disciples? Um, at this time, then on Pentecost, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? Uh, their focus isn't the Holy Spirit. Their focus isn't on being witnesses. Their focus is on two things, the time and also the kingdom, the earthly kingdom. Are you going to establish the kingdom here on earth? And so this is what I've seen among Christians. As we're waiting for Jesus to return... In the clouds of heaven, as we're in this waiting period, I have seen two extremes among Christians and and, and followers of Jesus that patterns the focus of the disciples. The first extreme is a focus on an establishment of an earthly kingdom right here on earth. A heavenly kingdom or, 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 or a heaven here on earth. We call it suburbia. We call it suburbia where we have a a nice home, and we have a nice car, a three-car garage, and, and we have to have at least a pool because we don't like public pools anymore because there's other people there, and who knows what, you know, what's going on in that water there, and so we have to have our own little exclusive pool, and um, it has to be covered and shaded, and we have to have fancy cars, and we have to have enough money for retirement, and so what I've seen is this. From Christians who are waiting for Jesus to come. A preoccupation with an earthly kingdom. And and this is the disciples after the resurrection. Even though Jesus time and time again was telling them, my kingdom is not of this earth. I must suffer. I must must die. The kingdom of God is in you. Even though Jesus kept talking to them and explaining that the kingdom is first and foremost a spiritual reality. He has already suffered, he has already died, he's already crucified, but yet they're still looking for a tangible establishment of the kingdom here on earth, where there can be peace and safety. I don't know about you, but I I don't think that's a bad idea. I mean, I want, I mean, I wouldn't mind, right? I wouldn't mind a house like that, you know? Wouldn't we all like a nice home? Financial security. That would be wonderful. But sometimes could it be that we're focusing so much on the things of this earth that we forget About the spiritual kingdom of God. Jesus said seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things. Will be given unto you. A focus on an earthly kingdom. So much so that we forget about the spiritual kingdom. Jesus perhaps spoke about it this way. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 48. Where he says. uh, He speaks about the unfaithful and the wicked servant. Who says my Lord. Delays. His coming And since the Lord delays his coming, then this wicked servant begins to be mean. You've never met a mean Christian, have you? No, we haven't met mean Christians. Uh, and then the servant becomes mean, because my Lord delays his coming. He's not coming. My focus is here on this earth. They becomes mean. He becomes abusive. Uh, he begins to strike, it says. He begins to strike his fellow servants, and then he begins to get drunk. And it becomes a glutton, is what Matthew chapter 24 and verse 48 says. Could it be that among Christians who are waiting for Jesus' second coming, instead our focus, not on the spiritual realities of the kingdom, but an earthly kingdom, a heaven on earth? A second thing that I've seen, a second aspect that I've seen with Christians, similar to the disciples, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In verse 6, the second one that I've seen is among Christians. One is uh, believing that the Lord is delaying his coming and the focus just on this earth. The second aspect being among his followers, a love of religious sensationalism. Religious sensationalism. Anything that gets you up and excited and anything that's um, fanatical. You haven't met fanatical Christians, have you? Okay. Uh, shocking news. Anything that's religious, and I'm going to use this term here, religious balderdash. An unhealthy interest in conspiracy theories, secret societies, bizarre biblical ideas, date setting. The Sunday law is coming. They just passed a secret resolution in Congress. It's happening now, and you don't even know it. Don't get entangled with that stuff. Don't get entangled with that stuff. I remember my Christian experience. Oh, sorry. Before that. Before that. The year 2000. You know, in the years leading up to the year 2000, there was a lot of excitement about Y2K and everything's just going to fall apart. And I was 16, 17, 18. And all these people were doing crazy things. Christians, you know, doing crazy things, making crazy decisions during that year. And guess what happened? Nothing, nothing. Shortly before, uh, or shortly as I moved here to Jacksonville, and, and um, we had Harold Camping uh, with 2011, or was it 2012? I don't even remember. Judgment Day is coming, May 21, 2011. I remember driving JTB and getting off the St. John's Town Center, and there were people holding their billboards there. You know, May 21, Judgment Day, uh, Jesus is, is, is coming. And uh, guess what happened? Nothing. Okay. All right. And I think then they set a couple other dates. Actually, look at this billboard here. Third time's a charm. How about that one? <laughs> Third time's a charm. Oh boy. Harold camping guarantees And I don't even know if this is real or not. So, uh, you know, it could be photoshopped. And then, and then I saw this other one here though. Well, that was awkward. Matthew 24, Matthew 24 verse 36. No one knows the day or the hour. Isn't Jesus so clear But then why do we fall into it? Time and time again into religious sensationalism and fanaticism. Why? Jesus tells us that we need to be aware of the signs of the times. He tells us that. Uh, But the truth is that there are signs all over that the world is falling apart. There are signs all over that the end is near. And, and, and sometimes I feel that we're like the Pharisees that in Jesus's day, that Jesus was healing people and, and he was feeding the multitudes and he was doing all these amazing things. And then the Pharisees and the leaders still come up to him and ask him, show us a sign. Right <laughs> signs are all over already. We don't need any more signs. We know that we're living in the end of time. Society is falling apart on all levels, on all aspects. It's just our society is just a, a little bubble ready to pop. In fact, I was speaking with with, with someone, and and he was saying, you know, I I really feel he was telling me that the the only reason things haven't fallen apart is because of God's mercy. The four angels of Revelation are still holding back the the four winds of strife. God's mercy, we're here because of God's mercy, um, only because of God's mercy. Peter tells us that the end has not come because God is merciful, not willing that any should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. Jesus also tells us that it's not about time. It's about the proclamation of the gospel, Matthew 24. And this gospel shall be preached in all the world, and then the end shall come. It's not about dates. It's about the preaching of the gospel. It's about God's mercy. And every time I've seen people put a date, it's been wrong. Don't get entangled with with religious fanaticism and religious sensationalism. Acts chapter 1 and verse 7. Notice Jesus' response to the disciples' focus on an earthly kingdom and also focus on the time and on dates. Notice what he says in verse 7. Acts chapter 1 and verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father hath set by his own authority. That's not for us to know. We know we're living in the end already. We're aware of the signs of the times. It's not for us to try to figure these things out. But what is it for us to figure it out? What, is, what should be our focus? Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. The third option for us as we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus is the reception of the Holy Spirit and being witnesses of God's truth. That's what God is calling us to do. That is what he's calling us to do in this waiting time, to be filled with the Spirit and to be witnesses of his truth and his love and his mercy. Now, you tell that to some people, and then the response is, well, that's boring. Well, that's boring. That's Jesus' word to us. That's Jesus' word to us. Are you receiving the Holy Spirit and are you being witnesses of his truth? And during these next few weeks and maybe even months, we're going to be looking deeper into these two aspects, the Holy Spirit. I call the Holy Spirit the the forgotten member of the Godhead. How much time have we spent thinking about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit? Jesus spent significant time. He says, I go away and I must go away for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And then that second aspect of witnessing. What exactly does that look like? And so Jesus ascends into heaven before his very eyes. Verse 9, before their very eyes, Jesus was taken up before them. And as they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, verse 10, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, he will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Don't worry about that. It will happen. In the meantime, be ready to receive the Holy Spirit and be witnesses of his truth. And notice what the disciples did obedient to the calling of Jesus. Verse 14, the Bible tells us, And so they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so, my friends, I feel that as we're entering into the season of Pentecost, what I feel is that God is calling us to focus on prayer He's calling us to to, to focus on the Holy Spirit, to be open to the Holy Spirit's leading and filling in our lives and also to become witnesses of his truth. This twofold aspect is what Jesus is calling us to do. This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with us on www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.